a podcast by Warhorse Partners, supporting the move forward in investment management. Good day. I'm Piers Curry of Warhorse Partners. My guest today is Stuart Oldcroft, who has lived in Hong Kong for over 35 years. We're going to explore Southeast Asia and Hong Kong as an investment centre, a bellwether for markets and the side door to mainland China. Stuart has seen much. He started working for a life insurance company from the age of 16 and has hardly stopped work since then, some 50 years later. Stuart is chairman of City Trust Limited in Hong Kong and a senior advisor as well. And in that role, he advises global fund manager clients on accessing the Asian region. So, Stuart, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Piers. I thought we maybe kick off with a, a background portrait a little bit of what's been happening in Hong Kong. Over here in the London, we've seen the protests and, of course, a lot of news around COVID-19. Could you just tell us what that looks and feels like now from your perspective? Yes, I'll start with the COVID-19, the coronavirus issue. Hong Kong has done extremely well on this. We've had a bit of practice, I suppose, because it was about 18 years ago, we had uh, SARS and SARS did decimate Hong Kong at the time. We all learned how to wear face masks. We all learned how to be hygienic. So we're coming up to five months now of the coronavirus. We've only had just over 1,000 infections in Hong Kong and uh, not that many deaths. And given our uh, what was an open border with China, where the coronavirus started, then I think that's doing pretty well. Of course, there are other issues going on in Hong Kong. And exactly 12 months ago, there were a million people on the streets, I was one of them, who were protesting about the government's intention to introduce an extradition bill, which would enable the government to extradite people back to China, and maybe some other places, who maybe had done things that China didn't like. Now that China has tried to impose upon it national security laws for Hong Kong, which are bypassing the normal route of legislative imposition within Hong Kong. There are no checks being made by legislative councillors. There is no consultation with with the public. It is just a straight imposition. The law itself is not so bad. I think that the, the national security law is probably something that we can all live with. But it is the way that it is being imposed which is causing us the problem. Is it disrupting the market and the funds business as a result? Not necessarily. In terms of the market, yes, there has been the requirement that major companies in Hong Kong indicate their willingness to accept the national securities law. We've seen recently how HSBC and Standard Chartered have have been required to say this. And this follows on from the circumstances last year where Cathay Pacific were willing to allow their own staff to have the ability to say what they thought about the China extradition bill, the consequence of which was that the chairman and the CEO of Cathay Pacific were fired. And it is that sort of circumstance that corporates in Hong Kong are living under now with um, the, the extent to which China can influence business. But you know, we are a Chinese territory and we have to accept that this is the governing power and this is the way things are going to be going forward. Will there be or are companies and corporates have a repatriation or, a, or relocation strategies or is that something which is not happening? 
Uh, that's not happening. But of course, all global companies are probably fairly sympathetic to any of their staff who may feel that they want to leave. This is the time of year, the what would normally be the end of the school year. So between June and August, many families will tend to leave at this time of the year. Shall we have a look at maybe the, the funds business in Hong Kong and, and, and local fund distribution, which seems very different to the UK and USA. It, it's still dominated by three big banks. And I was wondering how that and maybe platform distribution, which is happening and disruption in other countries, is something happening in Hong Kong. Yes, it's true. The banks do dominate the big banks. That's HSBC, Hang Seng, Citibank, Bank of China International and Standard Chartered. I count that to be five rather than three. And they dominate in the retail sector. The retail sector for traditional funds has, on average, for the last five or six years, produced around 80 to 85 percent market share. So banks are very, very important for fund companies to get onto their platforms. Private banks, however, are also users of funds, but not so much in the regulated funds area. The big private banks, of course, are uh, HSBC, Citi, UBS and Credit Suisse. But the whole issue about the Hong Kong market, which is fairly similar to Singapore and Taiwan, is that distribution still requires a commission payment. And the regulators in all three locations have taken the view that for the moment, they don't wish to impose a commission ban. And for as long as that occurs, the banks will continue to be very dominant providers of fund distribution. Recently, the Hong Kong Securities and Futures Commission gave a final approval to enable online funds distribution to occur. But so far, there hasn't been a great deal of use of that. But they have also, along with the monetary authority, allowed um, virtual banks to get started. And the probability is that the virtual banks, when they can start selling products, will try to do online selling quite a lot more than they have done up until now. Some years ago, we had a chat about, well, I think, the principle of the sort of wild east in China. Do you ever feel that there's a two-speed development in funds? Interestingly, the mainland China development has moved very fast. It's moved well ahead of Hong Kong now. The regulator plus the industry has sort of leapfrogged where Hong Kong was. And it is well regarded in terms of its regulatory control, the way it operates, and it is much easier to understand. The only downside of that is that until now, it has been entirely a domestic market plus a few joint venture fund management companies. But from the 1st of April, global fund companies were allowed and have been allowed to apply for a full fund management company license, which would enable them to re sell retail mutual funds in the market. Are the mainland Chinese investors looking for access to global markets? That's an interesting question, because based on some surveys that have been done in recent years, something like 30 to 40 percent of the Hong Kong market is, in fact, mainland Chinese investors who've been able to get their money across 
the border into Hong Kong and are therefore investing into Hong Kong or in, in, in Hong Kong into global funds. So when you look at Hong Kong fund statistics and where those funds are investing, namely all around the world into equities and fixed income and, uh, and multi-asset funds, that is reflective also of mainland investors who've got their money out of China. As as well, those mainland investors getting their money out of China do not have any interest at all in using China equity funds to put their money back into China. They will do that locally. Now, what are investors in China interested in? They are interested in more or less exactly the same things as investors all over the world are. In other words, they're looking at capital growth and or income or both. They have been fed a diet in the past of um, reasonably high yielding money market funds, but the yield on money market funds has come down over the last five years from about 6% to under 2%. In fact, it's, it's getting to near 1% right now. And so that has meant that much more money is going into either high yielding fixed income or more recently into equity funds. In the last 12 months in China, we have seen around 500 billion US dollars added to the regulated fund industry, taking it up to around $2.5 trillion in terms of size. So that puts into perspective the scale of that market. There's a very big groundswell of money going into funds in China right now. That's not just into the regulated funds, but it's also going into uh, or coming in via insurance company fund management or, or insurance company asset managers and bank wealth management asset manager companies. So it's a broad spread. If I add up those three sectors alone, we're talking about $8 trillion of assets. But at the current rate of growth, of the China asset fund management industry, by the end of next year, it will become bigger than the UK. In the last decade, with QE and asset inflation and then returns coming from the US, I sense the, the, the UK investors are less interested now in what used to be a landmark region. I tend to agree. I think that they have um, packaged, if you like, Hong Kong, China, and most of the Asian region, along with all other emerging markets, generally for the last eight to 10 years, emerging markets have not done terribly well when you compare them to the developed markets. They haven't needed the QE stimulus of central banks, and they, they have probably fallen a little behind in domestic interest rates, which have been one of the key factors that has forced more money into markets generally. The lack of money coming into these markets by comparison to the developed markets has probably meant that prices within the within stock markets have not gone up as high as um, elsewhere. For example, Hong Kong, and just as a good example, is something like 30% below its peak. Do you see governance obstacles either being relevant or one that you have to address eventually? I think it's true to say that Europe, having been well ahead of the US, have in, in adopting ESG principles for investing, will look at Asia and find that many of the companies in the Asian region don't meet their criteria for ESG. 
Asia is a long way behind both Europe and America in terms of its acceptance of ESG. But the regulators in our markets, Hong Kong and Singapore, are beginning to take a much more proactive role. It's required, for example, in Hong Kong by the SFC that if you claim ESG credentials as a company, you have to prove it, and there are penalties if you can't. In Singapore, the the MAS is now requiring many more ESG funds to be set up. And so you could expect that ESG type credentials are going to become much more a requirement of companies. And this might make them more interesting for global, um, especially European fund managers to take another look at. I'm curious whether the concept of the G or the governance piece in state-owned countries like China have a difficult correspondence uh, to resolve. Well, indeed, and I am not an advocate for ESG, I have to admit. I have more often sat on the other side of the fence in discussing this because I find it difficult for all three of the credentials, environmental, social or governance, to apply in a single company. By reputation, Hong Kong investors are seen to be quite short term. Is that a misperception? I would regard that as an urban myth that has been perpetuated by many fund managers who come out here and then can't win what they consider to be their market share. On the one hand, there is some degree of truth that Asian investors are short term. Uh, I often use the example of Taiwanese investors who on equity funds will generally hold their investment for three to five months or until after they've made a 5% return and then move on. But on the other hand, investors are also focused on getting their returns. And so they're much more focused on returns than I believe many European or, or US investors are. In Hong Kong in 2019, uh, the gross total of fund sales was around 90 billion US dollars. Net was just a shade under 15 billion US dollars, both of which are are all-time record numbers. And then you might say, well, you know, if only 15 of the 90 sticks, why should I want that? Well, the fact of the matter is that the 90 is what any fund manager coming to the market should be focused on because that shows that there is always a chance for them if they've got the right product and they can offer it on the right platform at the right time. Stuart, thank you so much for talking to me today. I've got a better understanding of where it is that you've come from. So thank you for talking to me and um, let's hope we do it again soon. You're welcome, Piers. I'm glad to have spoken to you. This is a podcast from warhorsepartners.com supporting the move forward in investment management. Keep galloping on until the next time.